the word of the Lord. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to her to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the right the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. But each one has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another to the unmarried and to the widows. I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should they should marry for it is better to marry than to burn with passion to the married. I give this charge, not I, but the Lord, the wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Verse 12. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if you, if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such case, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how you, how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant? When when called, do not be concerned about it. But if you gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity for he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a free man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when he was called as a bondservant of Christ, you were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called. There, let him remain with God. Verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a the betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will live world, will have worldly troubles. And I spare you that. I would spare you that. This is what I mean 
Brothers, the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as if they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as if they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want to free you from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about the worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to the one whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I, too, have the spirit of God. Please be seated. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Let me pray. Our Lord and God, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for the wonderful gift of your word. I thank you for the means of grace that you provided for us in bringing us here tonight, Lord, to hear your word. Let us be recipients, Father, of of the grace that is found within the truth that is found within. Give us the strength to obey. I decrease that you may increase. Lord, I become low so that you can become high in the lives of your people. Move me out of the way, Father, and be glorified for the glory of Christ and for the sake of God, we pray. And for the glory of God and for the sake of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, 40 verses, <clears throat> 40 verses that are considered to be some of the most difficult verses to interpret in all of the scriptures. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Corinth. The society in Corinth of that day was wicked. They began to embrace the church did different practices because of the wicked society in which they lived. Polygamy, meaning many wives, was a norm in their surrounding. Fornication was a norm in Corinth. Adultery was normal in Corinth. And more things. Because of the wickedness that was found there in Corinth, the believers began to think and practice and also teach that one should never be married. They began to practice and teach that believers should remain single and that if you were married, that you should abstain from any sexual activity. Paul writes the church in order to answer some of the questions and also to correct wrong thinking that the church was displaying in their midst. He says in verse one, now concerning the matters about which you wrote from this moment on, the apostle Paul is beginning to beginning to address Pressing issues that weighed on the minds of the church of Corinth. 
And although we have the answers, we don't necessarily have the questions. So we are in a, in a, in one sense, we are listening to one side of the conversation, if that makes sense. Paul is giving answers, but we do not necessarily have the questions. We can assume what some of those questions are. Some of those questions are, how should married people live, verses 1 through 5? How should unmarried or widows live as Christians, verses 8, 9, 32, and 35, 32 through 35? How should those who are engaged and they are believers, how should they live, verse 25 through 31? And it is within these verses that we find instruction from God's holy word concerning those who are living single and living as Christians in this world. Paul says in verse 6, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all, and he does say all, were as I am myself, or as I myself am. But each one has his own gift from God, one of one kind and another and one of another. The Apostle Paul gives a concession. This is important. It's not a command. The Apostle Paul is conceding to the fact or yielding to the fact that what he's about to say is not a command. It is his own preference. This is the preference of the Apostle Paul. Verse 6, I wish that all. Very interesting that Paul would say all. I wish that all were as I myself am. What is Paul referring to? He tells us in verse number 7 that he wishes that all were single just as he was. Paul's desire for all believers, his preference, if he could have it his way, was that all would that would be that all believers were single as Paul was single. But but listen to the way that Paul describes his condition or and, and let me say this. I may say condition every now and then, but singleness is not a sickness. It's not a condition. So if I say condition, I, what I mean is status. All right. I will hopefully try my best to remember that to say status. You're not sick if you're a single. Verse seven. But each one has his own gift from God. One of one kind and one of another kind. The Apostle Paul identifies his status of singleness as being a gift. And not just any gift. The Apostle Paul describes his status of singleness as being a gift from God. Brothers and sisters, more specifically tonight, you who are single. Do you consider your singleness to be a gift from God? Do you consider the fact that you are presently single That your present status is single. Do you consider that? And and let me slow down even more. I'm not just speaking to the 20-somethings, 30-somethings, 40-somethings, 50-somethings and up. I'm also speaking to teenagers. Do you consider your present status of single a gift from God? Or do you consider... You're being single, a thorn in the flesh, sent by Satan to buffet you. What do you consider your status right now as a single person? Do you see singleness 
much like a number that is given to you when you enter into the DMV. You go and you get your number. And as you go, you see multitudes gathering into this small building. And you dread going there, but you know you have to. And you grab your number. And you sit and you wait. Do you see singleness as a number, if you will? Like a number at the DMV. And then, and then you'll see a number called and you look at that person and you say, I, I know I was here before them. How is their number called before me? I, I've been here. I've been waiting patiently. I haven't caused any troubles here. How do you see your singleness? It is interesting that the majority of the United States population now today, the majority is single. This would not be the case if this was the 1950s. If this was the 1950s, the, the majority would overwhelmingly be married and the minority would overwhelmingly be single. But the majority of our population is, is single. They are waiting longer. People are waiting longer and longer to be married. And they're getting married older and older at age. And sometimes not even marrying at all. If you are going to your local Christian bookstore... You will walk down the aisle and find the area or the section where there is books on marriage. And you will find a a great choice, a great plethora, if you will, of options when it comes to marriage. And yet when it comes to finding books about singleness, they are few and far between. They're hard to come by. And yet the, the majority is single. The minority now is married. And we look at people who are single today as if something is wrong with them. We look at people who are single and and the question we most often ask is, why are you single? Why are you single? And, And when someone says, why are you single? They are most often asking, what's wrong with you? What's the mystery that I have yet to find out about you, which has caused everyone to stay away from you? Why are you single? What's the big secret that you're holding back? Is it your temperament? Are your expectations too high? Are you antisocial? Are you too shy? Are you feel fearful of commitment because of past hurts? Are you afraid to open up your heart to anyone once again? What's the problem with you? Why are you single? Because being single in our culture is usually identified as a problem. That your singleness is a problem rather than your singleness is a gift from God. Singleness has most often been concluded or summed up as being a problem to be solved rather than a gift given by the grace of God. How do you view your singleness? How do you regard it? You may be a widow. You may be, you may be one whose spouse has left you. Because of your faith or you may have never been married before whatever has caused you to be single and to have the status of single. How do you regard that present status? Some of you may be presently single. Some of you may be single for the rest of your life. Whatever the case may be. How do you regard that condition? Status. When you see your friends. When you see your family members who are married with children, 
and little ones are running around and you're not with any married spouse with you or any children with you. Do you feel awkward? Do you feel like the odd man out? What are your thoughts? Are you envious? Do you ask the Lord, Lord, when will my number be called? When is it my turn? When your family members pressure you with questions like, when are you going to get married, son? Haven't you met anyone, daughter? Maybe you can sign up for a website. Christian Mingle. Pastor John suggested FarmersOnly.com. You know the commercial. And when they do that, do you not most often feel like a second class citizen? As if your status is something to be fixed rather than your status as being something to be enjoyed because it is a gift from God. Brothers and sisters, those of you who are single, we have great encouragement from God's word. And it comes from a man who penned two thirds of the New Testament over over mostly who has penned most of the New Testament and who was also a single man by his own admission. Your singleness is a gift from God. And you may be wondering, how is my singleness a gift from God? That's that's odd to hear that singleness is a gift. Young person, older person. Let's together look at God's word and discover the, the great joy in the gift of singleness that God graciously gives to his people. Let's go first to a historical understanding of singleness. Let's go to a historical, number one, a historical understanding of singleness. Whenever we want to go and gain a, an understanding of the way that God designed men and women, where would we most likely and most often go? the book of Genesis. Always go back to the garden. Genesis chapter one. Let's go there. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. Verse 28. And God blessed them. That's a very important word. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The command that God gave to his humanity was fill the earth, multiply, expand the glory of this garden to the utter ends of the earth. That command was given to Adam, our covenant head. And Adam ultimately failed to keep the covenant between him and God. It was a command that the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, would ultimately fulfill. The Lord God created man. And when he created man, God noticed and God knew that there was no command, no no companion for man. The Lord saw that it was not good for Adam to be alone. Adam needed a helper. So the Lord God created woman from the man's side. The Lord God created woman 
as a gift to Adam. The Lord God created woman as a gift to Adam. She was to be a helper and that help was a gift of God by the grace of God. And the Lord said in in chapter 2 verse 24, for this reason, for this gift, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. When we come to the 12th chapter of the book of Genesis, the Lord God comes to Abraham and he says to Abraham in chapter 12 verse 2, turn there, I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. How was the Lord God going to bless Abram or later Abraham? How was he going to bless him? Chapter 15, verse 4. A son coming from your own body will be your heir. The Lord God took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars if you indeed can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now, think. How was God going to bless Abram? With offspring. God was going to bless Abraham with descendants. I will cause your name to endure, if you will. The Lord God says the same thing to Isaac. I will bless you. And how? Descendants. The Lord God says the same thing to Jacob. How will he bless him? Descendants. Their blessing will be that they have many descendants. There begins to develop then an association. Now listen closely. An association with many children equaling God's favor on your life. Are you hearing that? There's there's an equation. Children means blessed by God. Which means what? That those who don't have children, those who are barren, are cursed by God. Do you see that? And even as some of you who are single and do not have children, that thinking has crept into your minds. That if I don't have any kids, my name ends. My name no longer endures if my if I don't have any children. And those of you who are sitting here saying, I've got kids. I don't I'm I'm not worried about this. It sounds like their problem. You play into this as well. There's great tension in the Old Testament. And many times the great tension that that takes place in the Old Testament is because of, listen, because of barrenness or because one Individual, one woman, is unable to have children. Abraham. Do you remember Abraham's wife, Sarah? What was her great problem? What was her great dilemma? She was barren. She was unable to have children. Until finally, God did what? Blessed her with Isaac. You hear that? The language there? Jacob's wife, Rachel. She too was barren. Until God did what? Blessed her with Joseph. Hannah, the mother of Samuel, she was barren until what? The Lord blessed her with Samuel. The mother of Samson was also barren for a time until the Lord blessed her with Samson. How were those who were barren regarded in those those communities? 
They were regarded as cursed by God and not blessed. Why? Why would someone be cursed if they had no children, if they had no offspring? Because, again, if you have no offspring, then your name, your name is wiped off of the face of the earth. Your memory is wiped off of the face of the earth. So what was the most common way of achieving the goal of offspring so that your name would endure? Marriage. In order to in order to make your name last, in order to uh, allow your name to endure, the answer was get married so that you could have children. There was great emphasis in the Eastern culture to be married. If you were single, great pressure to be married. If you were a widow, great pressure to be remarried. If you were a eunuch, one whose physical capacities to produce children had been taken away from them, then you were pitied among all people on the earth. Do you know who else was pitied among all people on the earth? Those who had leprosy. Because you could not go near them. They were to live a, an isolated life all of their lives. Those who had sicknesses were to live isolated lives all of their lives. And they were the most pitied of all men. Those who were divorced were looked down upon. Much like those, and, and, and not so much in our culture. In our culture, you can have 12 divorces. You fit in right with everybody else. But divorce was also looked down upon. There was nothing glorious, brothers and sisters. Nothing praiseworthy about the status of singleness. The idea of being cursed, cut off, looked down upon is still almost prevalent today among those that are single. We almost look at them who are single, our brothers and sisters, as those in that day who were cursed and cut off. And that's a shame, especially for us who are married. You ever been to a wedding? I can remember being younger at our old church, and I was probably asked to be in two or three weddings. One of them was my best friend at the time. And I can remember him saying to me after his wedding, putting his arm around me and saying, Lord's got something for you too one day, brother. And I remember feeling so small. I mean, I'm small already, but I remember feeling smaller that is something wrong with me that you have somehow elevated yourself above me because you're now married. Singleness leaves you no place in the Old Testament until you get to the book of Isaiah. Let's go to Isaiah 53. Wow, my Bible opened right up to it. Verse seven. Are you there? Good. Let's go. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before her shearers. Its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth by oppression and judgment. He was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked. And a, with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offspring or an offering for guilt. 
he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Do you see that? The Lord Jesus Christ, this verse is speaking of a single man, son of God, son of man, with no physical offspring. Never married, never had any children. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ comes, lives in perfect obedience to the law of God, offers up his life as a propitiation, as a substitute for his people. Amen. And brothers and sisters, death could not hold him. God showed that he accepted the sacrifice of Christ by raising him to de- from the dead. Raising him from the dead. Just as he said he would on the third day. Never married. Never had any physical offspring. And yet because of his sacrifice. Because of his rising from the dead. The Bible says that he will see his offspring. He shall see his offspring. They become more numerous than the sands on the seashore. More uh, more plenty than the stars in the sky. And they are every person who trusts in Christ alone for their salvation. You become his child. The one who never married. The one who never had any physical offspring. Lord God says... That for those who've placed their faith in Christ, we become his offspring. Interesting. Now, what hope is there then for those who are single in light of this verse? In light of this verse, there's great hope for those who are single. Look at chapter 54, verse number one. What does it say? Verse one. Look at this. Sing, O who? O barren one. Why would a barren one sing? Those who were barren were were viewed as cursed. Those who were barren were viewed as those whose names would eventually be blotted out. And God says in light of chapter 53, sing, O barren one. In light of the one who was bruised for our transgressions, sing, O barren one. What else does it say? Who did not bear? Break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have not been in labor. Do you see that you who have never had any children sing, break forth in praise for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. God says to those who have no children, you will have more children than the one who does have children. What encouragement is this to those who are single and reading this? Never had any children. And God, from the word of his prophet, says, Rejoice, barren one. You will have many children. Enlarge your your place or enlarge the place of your tent. Make room in your home. And let the curtains of of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. And your offspring will possess the nations. And will people and and will people the desolate cities fear not. For you will not be ashamed. 
Fear not, single one, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will not forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. And you will remember no more. Why? Verse 5. Need a husband? For your maker is your husband. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth, he is called. Sing, you childless one. Sing, O barren one. Sing, you who were never married. Spread out your tents. Make room. You want family. The Lord is your husband. And you've been denied, united to him because of the bruised one in chapter 53 who was pierced for our transgressions, you being united to him equals you having many offspring. Great family. So rejoice, you who are single. You are not cursed, as some have called you. You are blessed. You are greatly favored by God. Chapter 56, go to 56, verse 3. That no foreigner... Uh, 56 verse 3. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let not the eunuch. Remember him. The one who has had his capacity to produce offspring cut off. Let not the eunuch complain and say, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath. Who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial. A name better than what? A name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. What's the big concern? What's the great concern of those who have no children? That my name will be cut off. That my memory will be blotted from the face of the earth. And God says to those who are worried about that kind of condition. Fear not. Don't worry. I will give you a name that's greater. A name that's greater than sons and daughters. A name that will never be cut off. What is that name? It is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you now find yourself in. That you identify yourself with. That you now take on his name. That it is no longer you who live, but it is Christ who lives in you. God is saying, you want family? You'll find it in him. You want a a husband? You'll find it in him. How much hope do you feel if you're single at this time? And you're reading these passages. How much hope do you feel right now? Young person. Old person, middle-aged person, wherever you find yourself in your life, at whatever age and whatever stage, your singleness is not a curse. It's not a problem to be fixed. Don't think you need to run to someone in order to fulfill what only Christ can fulfill. Your singleness is a gift from God. Which leads us to our second point. Singleness is a gift from God. First Corinthians chapter seven, verse seven. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that. 
The question that we asked at the outset of this sermon was this. How do you regard your status of singleness? Is it perceived as a gift or more like a thorn in the flesh? The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said that his, his singleness was a gift from God. A woman one might say, I don't want this gift. If marriage is a gift, then I would also like that instead. I'll trade the gift of singleness for the gift of marriage. Or how could this be a gift if I'm so frustrated and discontent with this so-called gift? I'd like you to consider for a moment, those of you who are, who are frustrated in your singleness, consider this. What do you think will be accomplished if your status of singleness is changed to married? What do you think the outcome will be? What's the result if your status is changed? Do you believe that there is greater contentment in marriage? Do you believe that there is greater satisfaction in marriage? Do you believe there is greater joy in marriage, greater peace in marriage? What do you think is in marriage that you don't have right now in singleness? Or what do you think is found in marriage that you don't right now have in your singleness? If you think, yes, greater peace, greater joy, greater contentment, greater satisfaction, go and talk to someone who's married. And they will quickly bring you back to reality. That is not to say that we are happier. Although I am very happy in my marriage. But it is to say that our lives are definitely more complex. A single person's life is more complex than a, sing- that I, a married person's life is more complex than a single person's life. What did the Apostle Paul say in in chapter 7, verse 32? I want to free you from anxieties. What anxieties, Paul? The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to please the Lord. Real quick. I heard Mark Dever say this, so I think I can say it as well. I don't know many single people who are only consumed with the things of the Lord. I know many, many, many single people, and most of them are here. I don't know many single people outside this church who are consumed with trying to find a mate rather than consumed with God. I digress. But the married man is anxious about worldly things. What are the worldly things? How to please his wife and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this to your benefit. Your singleness is a gift because it frees you from the anxieties of married life. What anxieties? Making sure that the needs of your wife or husband are met. Making sure that food is available for the both of you. Making sure that there is shelter for the both of you. Making sure that both spiritual and emotional needs are met and attended to. Making sure that the balance of work and leisure and also time spent with the children, discipling them as well. That all of those things are factors in your life now. There were never factors when you were single. When you were single, you could wake up in the middle of the night and go have a Big Mac if you wanted to. If you get married, you need to tell your wife where you're going. 
especially in the middle of the night. Where are you going? I'm going to get a Big Mac. No, you're not. When you were single, you could just go get a big, you could get 10 Big Macs. You could fill your room with Big Macs. You could eat yourself to death with Big Macs. And the only person that had any kind of problem with that or any, would, would suffer from that would be you. The one main concern of your singleness should be, how do I please God? If you're single, you can go on a mission trip. And go. If you're single, you can get a new job. And try it. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Who cares? No one's really affected by it. You can get up and go to the gym like many of you like to do in the middle of the night. You can eat a meal in another city if you wanted to. You could look up on Yelp and say, best restaurants in Los Angeles right now that are open till midnight and go. Those of you who are married are saying, man, <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> You have no constraints. Your only concern is pleasing yourself and pleasing God. How are you treasuring your singleness right now? Because as as you heard the laughter, it's mostly coming from those who are married who are saying, I remember those days. I remember that my wife and I, right, uh, just a few weeks ago, we're in Glendale. We were driving down um, uh, Americana. And my wife said, and she didn't realize that I, she would be using my sermon later, but my wife said, you know, if we never got married, I might live right here. And I said, really? And if I met you later, I wouldn't marry you. <laughs> I would, I would, I would. But she said, you know, if I was not married to you, she didn't, she was just an offhanded statement. I might live here. But she's married. And she's bound to Bakersfield, California. <laughs> this is where she'll be for the rest of her life, right? Maybe not. The Lord may take us somewhere else. But are you spending your days going into a grocery store, bumping into someone and saying, maybe that's Mr. Right? <laughs> are you going into a McDonald's, ordering a Big Mac like you like to do, right? And seeing someone standing next to you who orders the same thing and looking at them and saying, baby, she's the one. We order the same thing. Do you want to live your life that way? Do you want to live your life always looking for something that you think is going to satisfy you rather than looking to please God? And in the midst of heading down that road of pleasing God, walking along with someone who is headed down that same direction or not. Trusting that God has my life in, in the palm of his hand and whatever my Lord decrees for my life is good. And if that means singleness, then praise God. And if that means marriage, then praise God. But wherever I am presently, I will rejoice and be glad in that time. That's where you should be. That is where you should be. Don't wait for Mr. Wright or, or Mrs. Wright to come knocking at your door. Spend time enjoying the freedom of glorifying God in your life any way the Lord has called you to do. Amen. 
Marriage is a gift. And I enjoy the gift that God has given me by this grace. Singleness is also a gift. And enjoy it because it is also by and given by the grace of God. And if you can't accept that, you struggle to accept that, then you're struggling to accept God's perfect plan for your life. Do you believe that and trust that God knows what he's doing? Yes, God does know what he's doing. Take heed from Abraham. Don't go out of God's plan in order to try to fulfill God's plan on your own. Don't go find the slave woman, if you will. Don't go find the unsaved person and try to make what you want, how you think you need to be satisfied in your life happen. You're going to find yourself in a whole heap of problems. If I could say anything real quick concerning your gift of singleness, don't try to eliminate the gift by finding an unsaved person so that you can eliminate that status. That is the most foolish thing to do. If you trust that God's plan for your life is perfect, then in your singleness, glorify him. And if it is his will, he will bring to you a godly woman or godly man. It was like uh, all of heaven sang the chorus of hallelujah when my wife walked through the cafeteria doors of Fairfax Elementary School. She, She doesn't know this. But there were sirens going off in my head. There were, there were and, and not just because she was gorgeous, but because I got to speak to her. And of all of the things that I could say about my wife when I first began to speak to her, our, our first conversation lasted two hours, and it was all about God. I knew from that moment, she's mine. She's mine. And even if, 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 if she had been dating at the time, it didn't matter. Because she was mine. I didn't steal her from anyone. I took what was mine. <laughs> That's the way, it, is. That's the way it, it was. But in my singleness, I enjoyed the fact that this is where I am and this is where the Lord has me. And the Lord will bring to me the right person as I serve him. And if you reject the gift of singleness, then you're rejecting God's perfect will for your life. How do you view that status? Is it a gift or is it a curse? And now being married, let me say that before we were married, and she'll tell you this, I had obsession with martial arts. I mean, that's all I did. And I would come home banged up, really banged up. My goal was to achieve certain certain credentials in that field. And then I got married. And everything has changed. Everything has changed. My wife is my priority now. I'm not going to spend three hours trying to accomplish something that is secondary to my family. My son is my priority now. And although those things are are great joys, they are great pleasures for me. I enjoy that life of fighting. I enjoy my wife and my son that much more because they are the gift that God has given me. But as that is my gift, fatherhood is my gift. So singleness is your gift. And there are things that you should enjoy there in your singleness. 
And maybe the real question is this. Are you trusting what God has given you at this present time? Are you trusting what God has given you at this? And you may desire to be married. And that's a good thing. If you desire to be married, that's not a sin. It's not a sin to want to be married. What is a sin is being consumed with the idea of marriage that it will somehow give you something that you don't have right now. And that is peace with God and joy that comes from being filled with the spirit. Amen. Let me say to you, marriage is temporary. We who are married are living examples of a temporary picture that will ultimately be fulfilled in the primary picture. That is Christ and his church. You who are single, your singleness is also temporary. I know that you who are single and you don't need to raise your hand because I was once there. I got married when I was 30. So I understand what it feels like. But I know that for those of you who are single and those of you who used to be single, that your mindset is often, I'm going to be single for the rest of my life. It's temporary. Just as this life is temporary. Everything is temporary. So don't soak in the temporary status of singleness. Rejoice in the fact that your singleness is temporary. Marriage is temporary. Uh, fathers and mothers, your being a father and mother is also temporary. Putting all stock into your children Putting all of your efforts into your children, getting them to the best schools, making them have the best uh, collegiate athlete, whatever status, that also is temporary. What is eternal is the gospel. What is eternal is your communion and union with Christ. That's what's eternal. That is what should be exalted. And if you want to... Uh, Put stock into anything in your kids. Put that into your kids. Put the gospel into your kids. Because that's temporary. Being in a human family is no sign of being blessed. But being in God's family through faith in Christ alone is what it means to truly be blessed. One may say, well, I want kids. Here's how you start having kids. Make disciples. There are other people in this church who need you, believer. There are other married people in this, in this church who need to invite you to their homes and say, come over, let's talk. I don't want to treat you as just, I only hang out with other married couples. Be careful of that. Be careful of only, I only hang out with married couples. You married people, reach out to the single people. Encourage them. Let them know that we support them in their singleness, especially those who choose to be single, who are older in age and see their life ending in singleness. Encourage them. Be around them. Let them know that we support them. Sometimes they come to church single and by themselves. They go home single and by themselves. And there is no interaction with other believers throughout the week. Now, that's a sad fact. I'm looking at one of our brothers right now that I won't call out his name, but I need to do a better job at reaching out to him. But we all need to do a better job at that. Reach out to those who are single. Let them know that we're here for them. Let's go to this last point and then we'll end for tonight. Your singleness is a gift. How is your singleness a gift is the last. 
So we did a background or history of singleness. Your singleness is a gift. How, question mark, is your singleness a gift? First, or you can call it letter A, your singleness frees you from the pressures of society and persecution. This is found in verses 25 and 26. I'm not going to read them. But in that context, the believers were beginning to experience persecution to a greater degree. And just in a few years, Emperor Nero would begin to kill Christians for sport. The Apostle Paul wrote to singles, looking forward or looking ahead to the fact that many of those Christians would be killed for their faith. How many of you are not afraid to die for your faith? That if you were placed under the fire, you would not be afraid to die for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's try this. Raise your hand if you would not be afraid to die. It's okay if you say, I'm not afraid to die. Good. How many of you would be afraid to watch your husband or wife die? How many of you would feel more pain of seeing them die than experiencing your own death? Yeah. How about seeing your children die? The Apostle Paul is saying to single people, this is coming. And in order to free you from that kind of pain, I would encourage you, don't even get married. Because there is a fire coming. And those whom you love will be burned in it if you get married. Now, we don't experience that per se here in America. But who's to say that we won't tomorrow? Now, your fear should not say, well, therefore, I'm not going to get married or therefore, I'm not going to have kids. Because that is temporary and the pain, yes, you will feel it, but it will not last. But it is no doubt a pain. Secondly, or B, free from the trouble of the flesh, free from the trouble of the flesh. This is found in 28 B or the second part, the end of of verse 28. This does not mean that you will not struggle with the flesh, single person. But it does mean this. You are a sinner. And if you get married, you will marry another sinner. Which means this, that your struggle against the flesh will become intensified as you also live with and are married to another person who is also a sinner struggling against the flesh. Your own battle is enough on your own. Amen. Add to that someone else's battle, someone else's sinful struggles. And now you've got a house of sinners. And and not only that, but if the two sinners decide to have another baby, then they're going to have a little baby sinner. And if you're like uh, Nadine and Frank, you have a whole house full of baby sinners. (laughs) Just kids, kids, kids everywhere. And it adds to it. It adds to the drama. It adds to the struggle. It adds to the pressure. And Paul is saying, listen, your own struggle is hard enough. Do you really want to complicate that? Do you really want to complicate that? Oh, my husband is perfect. No, he's not. My wife is perfect. No, she's not. You will face difficulties. You will face struggles. And Paul is saying, I want to free you from that. Those of you who are married, you should not be looking at me that that way. Some of you who are married are looking at me like, I think I made a great mistake. (laughs) You didn't. You're fine. Everything's good. 
I'm talking to singles, right? Three, or C, your singleness is a temporary state. Verse 29 through 30. That which you experience once again is a temporary state. Nothing in your life. There should be nothing in your life that you cling on to as if you're going to take it into the next. All things are temporary. You should be willing to let go of anything that you have, any possession that you have, knowing that it is temporary. Again, marriage temporary. Singleness temporary. Your children temporary. Your marriage will one day be fully realized when you stand among the nations, if you will, who will bow their knee and confess Jesus Christ is Lord. And those of you who are single will be kneeling near, kneeling, those of you who are married will be kneeling near single people who never had children. And even their singleness will be fully realized in the kingdom of God when they stand before their great bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. And last but not least, free from being preoccupied with marriage. Verse 32 to 34, when you enjoy this as a gift, you're no longer preoccupied with seeking to be married. I was talking to Pastor Zay about this earlier. Can you ever live without being preoccupied with marriage? Or those of you who are single, can you go the rest of your life not even thinking about being married? Or will it be something that consumes you until you die? Will it be something that when you are on your bed, your deathbed, that you say, I wish I would have got married? Will it be a great regret for you when you are old? I wish I was married. I wish I had children. Let me say to you real quick again, your desire to marry is not a sin. But it is a sin. If you seek to be married in order to satisfy your sinful lust and your sinful desires. If that's why you seek marriage. It is a sin. And it will not last. It will not last. Paul says it's it's better to, to marry than to burn. Just burn. Just burn. If the right person is not with you, just burn. If you are not with the person that you know. I could not be who I am today if it were not for God giving me the gift of my wife. I knew I could not be all that I want to be and desire to be without my wife. And I knew that through our talks and through our conversations, through me being around her. She made me a more sanctified, set apart man for God. The job and mission that God has called me to. Could not be what it is if I did not have my wife with me. She is the very epitome of my helpmate. If you are looking for a spouse and see someone who is a potential and you don't have that kind of sense about them. Don't marry them. Don't marry them. If you don't look at that person and say, she makes me so much better than I could ever be on my own. Or he makes me so much better than I could ever be on my, don't marry them. Please, I encourage you, do not marry them. 
Your singleness is a gift from God. Use it so that you may have undistracted devotion to God. Use it so that you may have undistracted devotion to God. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the mercy that you've given us in your word. We pray, Lord, that we were encouraged and strengthened by your word. Let this word be an encouragement, a great encouragement to those who are single and to those who are married. Let it be a challenge to us to encourage and come alongside those who are single and support them in their present status. Father, we thank you for this in Christ and we pray. Amen.